We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. I get the extreme good fortune of being your host for this audio affair. I do it with my dear friend. You know him as Dolomite Dave D2. Hello, sir. Hello, and good to be here. And before we get started, I'm going to put you on the spot because as we're taping, tomorrow is your birthday. Oh my, indeed it is. I am on the spot, but I feel as good as ever. So the good news is, once again, the pedestrian active lifestyle makes everybody feel good no matter how many years they have under their belt. Right. So I got to wish a happy birthday. I had, had to mention it. So Well, thank you very much. Certainly you have contributed to being a happy year, and I'm sure that will be the case going forward. Perfectly enough, I have a question for you as well. I also know sometimes you do not necessarily celebrate the fact that I put you on the spot unexpected with questions. <laughs> You did not know we're coming, but it is fall by the calendar. It's not just near my birthday. Where is fall, my friend? What is going on? I don't know. I mean, officially, yeah, it was like this last Monday at, I don't know what time it actually officially changed. Um, But I will say at least it's a little bit drier. The mornings are cooler. They feel cooler. Um, The afternoons are still getting into the 90s, but once again, it's drier. So we don't have quite that humidity. So it doesn't feel, I mean, I'm driving with the windows down and the doors off my Jeep even in like 80, 90 degree weather. And as long as I'm not sitting in traffic, it feels pretty good. So, I mean, there's the falls teasing us. It's okay. making, it's making us wait, but I think we're all going to be grateful when it, when it's here. But my, what I always feel like we get cheated in spring and fall where we'll get a week of like what feels like great, you know, spring or fall weather. And then when, Boom, we go straight into winter. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, what happened to the cooler temps? Now we sure. got freezing temps. Well, I will tell you, if this podcast thing doesn't work out, the meteorologist should be nervous. You are right. I did not realize this, but check this out, y'all. Going to be a reminder, friendly and as friends, to stay hydrated. As I look at the temperatures listed as highs for the next few days, 94, 94, 92, 93, 94. But you're right, D2, right now, even though it's 91 as we tape, the humidity only 47%. You're right, the mornings are better. We're going to be in the low 60s on occasion. So you've got a good sense for the weather and perhaps when it is more in our favor, but still awfully warm into the fall days. So stay hydrated and fall will come even if it is once again too short as D2 alluded to. One of the things that is part of the fall, we've been talking about it, but now, man, what an awesome weekend. It will be that first weekend in November. Yes, I mean, and you know, I, I look forward to the, to the fall uh, racing just because it's cooler, and, and primarily because you train in the heat, so you're going to benefit uh, in in the fall races. You're going to feel faster, you're going to feel stronger because you've trained in the heat and in the humidity. Um, so we've got some great races that are coming up. First of all, you know, Big Peach Farm to Trails, which by the way, I signed up. Nice, well so done. You're I'm, in. I'm do I'm a man. I'm doing the 11k. I saw the medals. I'm like, oh, that's that that's a kind of cool looking medal. Um, and I mean, I designed the logo. I helped design the logo. It is your handiwork. It is. That you, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just a quick thing on the medals, I will say, and whether we do this in the future or whether you've done it without us suggesting it, the medal for the virtual race and Peachy's Pedestrian Active Party, the medal for Big Peach Sizzler on Labor Day, 
and the metal now that you did not just contribute to, but truly design for Big Peach Farm to Trail. What an awesome trio of metals. I hope there are listeners and people out there who will have all three on their rack by the end of this year. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to running some trails in fall, cooler weather. So November will be, I think it'll be, I think it should be perfect. It won't be like freezing cold if I remember the past, you know, and because I've run up in Blue Ridge in mid to late November where it can get really cold in the mornings, but it warms up to maybe about, you know, 60 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be like as cold as 30. I think November, I think we'll be in good shape uh, for November uh, 2nd. But, you know, we also have uh, another race that's also, uh, that follows November 3rd, and it's the Anything is Possible uh, 5K, which is unique because November 2nd, um, or actually November 3rd is when the time change happens. Um, so we fall back. So we'll, we'll get a little bit of daylight. Our days will get shorter. Um, so, you know, those of you that are commuting in the evening will be commuting in the dark. Mm. Um, so think about reflectivity and all that. But, um, you know, this race, anything is possible actually has you start at 1150 AM. 150 AM. Yeah. 150 AM. I'm sorry. Got my, yeah, I got my digits confused. Needed one, one more one. Uh, yeah. Um, so 1.50 a.m. on November 3rd, the, the, your gun will go off and then the time will change while you're out on the course. So you actually get to finish before you started. So, which is a unique, you yeah, know, absolutely. I, 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 you know, if you can idea. do less than a 60-minute 5K, the clock time, meaning the time on the clock of telling you what time it is on planet Earth, will read earlier than when you actually left the start line. Exactly. So that's, I think that's kind of cool. And it's a, it's a party afterwards as well. So it, it takes place up at Kennesaw Town Center Mall. Um, so free parking. And then there's an after party uh, as well. So there'll be a DJ. Um, it's also sponsored by First Watch. So there'll be a breakfast. But if you really want to do it, you know, do the Time Warp Double Dare, which has another 5K at 8 a.m. in the morning. So you can do, and there's breakfast throughout the night and, and the morning. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a unique concept. I think it's one of those things that's kind of fun and it's centrally located up there in, in Kennesaw. So um, I, think it's, I think it's a great idea. What an awesome weekend. Who are we to plan your social or running calendars? But check this out. And there are less than 25 slots for Farm to Trail. So if you've not yet signed up, my goodness, the time is now. That will be sold out by the next time that we are on the air. But do Farm to Trail Saturday morning, November 2nd in Blue Ridge on your way back after a fun day in Blue Ridge, including getting that 11K or 30K distance. Stop at Kennesaw, hang out there until 1.50 a.m. the following morning on November 3rd. Do that race. It's a 5K to D2's point. Then there's a race at 8 a.m. Think about doing the double dare with the time warp and you will have put serious distance together for a absolutely memorable weekend. So very cool. D2 also very memorable. The featured conversation that we will unveil now. It was an awesome conversation for us to have with Golden Harper, the creator and the founder for Ultra Footwear. Ultra is a fast growing brand at Big Peach Running Company. You can find it in all of our stores. Obviously, you can learn more online. We talk about where in this conversation. Before we give you too much about who Golden is, I'm going to share this. We learned after we turned the mics off, he spent a bit of time at Stone Mountain. This was unbelievably impressive to me, even though it has nothing to do with the conversation about ultra footwear, about being an entrepreneur, about bettering yourself, about running form. When he was at Stone Mountain, many of you have been there. It is Georgia's number one tourist attraction. 
great place for living the pedestrian active lifestyle with the off-road trails, with the roads around the mountain, and of course, with the hiking options up and down Stone Mountain itself. He has set what I believe, according to Strava now, is the new record coming from the top of the mountain to the parking lot at the base of the mountain. He ran, get this friends, four minutes and 46 seconds from the top of Stone Mountain to that parking lot. It is officially listed as a mile on Strava. There are many people who have tried it. He now sits atop that leaderboard, four minutes, 46 seconds. Picture this if you can what it looks like when somebody is running down Stone Mountain at that pace. That's incredible. I mean, I've been up Stone Mountain, I've gone down, and it's not something that's easy to do. It's difficult to climb up. It's a very steep climb. So I can't imagine running down at that pace. I feel like I would fall over. I feel like falling over just walking down. (laughs) Super cool for sure. I think he felt he might fall over where he absolutely did not fall over or fall down was this conversation again. He is the creator, the founder of Ultra Footwear. Not only will you learn about the design and the engineering that goes into it, you'll hear about the story that prompted this entry into the marketplace. Just as importantly, he believes, as we do at Big Peach Running Company, that this is a lifestyle. He started running very, very early. We'll talk about that. But more importantly, he believes it's something that should be and can absolutely be done for a lifetime. He'll talk about running form techniques we should all incorporate and things that we should be thinking about to get the most out of this pedestrian active lifestyle. It is a conversation you will not want to miss. We will bring it to you unedited right after this brief message. Shopping for a runner can be difficult, but Big Peach gift cards make it a whole lot easier. They're perfect for birthdays, holidays, or any occasion to show you support a healthy and active lifestyle. Gift cards are also perfect for the workplace as an incentive, reward, or thank you for a job well done. Big Peach Running Company gift cards are available at all seven locations and online at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. This is a treat and D2 while we were here riffing with our featured conversation. Golden Harper learned one more thing that might intimidate us, but we're going for it. Anyway, a high school DJ, you said, so you've got a voice for this. You not have only have all kinds of information you're going to share. We're going to get your story. You've also got a great voice for this and a little bit of a background in audio production. Golden, so many good reasons to have you here. Thanks for being part of this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So for those of you who went over that introduction too quickly, again, we have the creator and founder of Ultra Footwear with us, Golden Harper from Utah. We are taping this actually out of studio. We are in our Alpharetta location right now. Had a fun evening with Golden, a bunch of people who came out to learn more about running, not just Ultra Footwear. Figured we had to learn more, share it with our Run ATL audience. We're going to do just that. Golden, though, before we talk anything about Ultra or perhaps even those things that people are going to remember for a long, long time, let's talk about those early days. You have a fascinating story, in my estimation, not just as a runner, but also as a parent. I believe my details tell me you ran your first full marathon at age 10. Is that true? And if so, tell me, unpack for all of us how that comes to be. Yeah, it is true. Uh, So my parents both got into running right before I was born. So the stoke level for running was really high. 
awesome. Uh, my mom was a four-time Olympic trials qualifier. My next-door neighbor was a multi-time Olympic trials qualifier. Wow. I just thought people ran. I just thought that's, that's what humans did. So I'm the kid who showed up to kindergarten. I was like, so where do you run? And people were like, yeah, you're the most not cool kid here. Um, <laughs> you know, so running was just a big part of my life. It's what we did. I was getting technique video analysis breakdowns at age eight. You know, I ran the wow. World Youth Championships and was able to win that at age eight. And then because the biggest event for my parents every year was not the Boston Marathon. It was actually the St. George Marathon. That was mm. their big focus. And I wanted to run it because that's what they did. And that's what my next door neighbors did. And, uh, that was the climax of the year. So I was like, let me run. And they're like, you're eight. Like <laughs> we're not letting you run a marathon, you know? And that year, the youngest runner in the race won the dole, um, like performance of the day trophy, which is a six foot tall trophy. And I'm a, like a three foot and change human, right? There could be nothing cooler so to an twice, eight year old, you know, nine year old kid. Yeah. To get a trophy twice your size. And I let my parents have it. Like, if you would let me run, I would have got that huge trophy. Like, ugh, you know. Well, and the trophy so, certainly came. So yeah. for those of you who thought, man, that's pretty cool. A 10-year-old goes out and runs a marathon. And you think, man, could I be that patient as a parent? You would not have to be that patient. You ran your first marathon, I believe, in less than three hours and 10 minutes around 3.08. And then if we go even more to the record books, get this, parents and marathon aficionados by the time he was 13 he had run two hours 44 minutes and 53 seconds again that's at age 13 so talk about that really early stage of not just running but truly training for a marathon that's a real commitment and for me even as a parent trying to learn perhaps gloss something that i could take from you to be able to instill in my home for any commitment that we should be making? What is it that works? Uh, so like uh, the, the first part, my dad has trained like 30 Olympic trials qualifiers. So my dad's a coach, right? So I'm the son of a coach. I've been coached to run. I've been coached to protect my body, to be effective, um, to be efficient. And uh, I run that first one at 10. I don't get that big trophy. So the motivation for me is go back and get the trophy, you know? Uh, so I come back, run 257 the next year, national best. And they give it to like the um, to a disabled athlete. So I'm like, okay, come back the next year, 2:45 as a 12 year old, uh, fastest anyone in the world has ever run a marathon at that age, still to this day. Wow, um, that's awesome. And I actually never got the big trophy, but it was the thing that motivated me. And as far as training for for those marathons, what it really came down to when when I went to run my first one, I my I just nagged my parents till they kind of gave in, and my dad was like, "Fine, if you run to the top of Mount Timpanogos and back, and you run rim to rim in the Grand Canyon and this and that, I'll let you run the marathon." And I think his thought process was like, you know, I'll have him do this thing that's harder than a marathon, and he'll realize that it's a really stupid idea. Um, but I liked it. <laughs> and, um, so for me, training for a marathon as a kid was not an intense thing. It was fun. It was play. And my parents weren't pushing me to run. They were actually holding me back. Um, and so like, I think my advice for parents is just that, like if kids want to run, let them run, but never be the one that's pushing them out the door. Uh, and, uh, as far as training, it's gotta be fun. You know, and for me, that's, that was why I was so effective is yes, I had a dad that was a coach who knew how to engineer to get the best out of me, um, or at least 
how to encourage me to do the right things and not make mistakes. But at the same time, he was smart enough to make it all a game. So to me, like running up to the top of this mountain and back ended up being great marathon training. But to me, it was just a game. It was fun. And that's a huge one. And so when it comes to like motivation for any athlete out there, I think gamifying what we do is a big part of making things successful. And then having goals, you know, setting them, having your motivation, remembering what your motivation is, having a plan to accomplish that and go get that thing and then executing your plan to get there. Well, and obviously you've made running and running at a high level, a little bit of a lifestyle. And yet that's not your only passion. We're going to certainly get into that. But for those who would wonder right away, well, after such an illustrious beginning with those accomplishments that Golden mentioned, he did obviously go on, ran in college, was an All-American and has had a successful career at many, many distances, now doing ultra distances, a lot of mountain running. You're running really career has been quite varied, but it is a true passion that you have for the sport. In my opinion, from what I've seen here this evening, knowing how you've spent some of your time in Atlanta this week, it's rivaled only for your passion of getting others to get geeked out and ultimately the most out of their own, what we call pedestrian active lifestyle. You're a parent now. You have this responsibility now. What are some of the things that you would say to all of us who, whether it's a coworker or a neighbor, whether it's as a parent or as a friend, might have someone that we would want to strategically encourage to do a little bit more running or walking, or perhaps to do it a little bit more frequently, because someday perhaps they'll feel the same way that you and I do about it. Yeah. So I think uh, a lot of that for me goes back to gamifying things. Okay. Like make it a game for the kids. Uh, and uh, my dad did a very good job of this for me. And, you know, helping kids see um, that there, there's something more to it. So, for example, I had a sister who hated to run. Uh, my next uh, youngest sister, Amber, she's a couple years younger than me, hated it, had a bad, bad group of friends. And my dad was like, hey, just just get her out to cross country. Just get her to agree to come uh, her freshman year just to come out for social reasons for for two practices or a week, you know, and then she can she can go back. And she came out and she came entirely for social reasons. And there were girls that we had kind of engineered to, you know, be her friend more Mm -hmm. or less. And she found out, like, I'm good at this, you know, and it went from being there for social reasons to like, I'm really good at this. And she ended up being ranked number one in the nation uh, later in her high school career. Um, But as a as a kid and as a parent, I guess, um, looking at kids like the thing for me is it always has to be fun. If it's ever not fun, if it's um, not to say there can't be commitment. But if it's ever a grind for the kid, that's not sustainable for a lifetime for them. And or even for an adult, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, it's exactly. a grind every single you day. You know, so like uh, my daughter, uh, I, I just make it a game for her. You know, we, we run as part of things we do. And she's she's three, so I'm never gonna be really super competitive with her and I don't I'm not out training her or anything. But you know, when we go somewhere we, we might just happen to run there. You know, and, and we talk about running as this fun thing, you know. We see a slight downhill on the trail and I'm like, Trail running and she's like, Trail running, you know, and she just like bombs down the hill, you know, no fear. Uh, and so I think, you know, uh, and, and then just doing things that get you active. So one of my biggest regrets was not playing soccer or doing another sport in high school. I was, uh, I was really good at running. So I focused on running and you know what, you can play sports as a kid, but you're going to run the rest of your life, you know? And so, 
just getting people out doing something, whatever it happens to be, it's going to help them to run later in life. I think, you know, if we can keep them active. So if you have to get your kid out playing soccer or basketball or wrestling or whatever it happens to be, um, that's going to keep them active. And then when that goes away in high school, you know, when high school or college is over, there's going to be a void there and that's going to get filled in by running more than likely. Um, so for me, it's about helping find, helping people find something they like doing. But I also find that running, most people don't think they like it until we teach them how to do it well. And as soon as we give them lessons on how to run and make running enjoyable and make running not hurt and make running easy, then all of a sudden that becomes fun and it becomes easy as well. And that's a huge part of my mission. Well, and we'll talk about that. You do such a great job of debunking myths and certain things that people can understand very quickly and apply almost as quickly. But before we do, I do want to talk a little bit about Alter. I think for Big Peach Running Company, it's a brand that we've proudly had over the last few years. And yet at the same time, even with you here as the creator, as the founder, I would say it is a fast growing brand for us here in 2019. The last 18 months especially have been like a rocket ship in terms of what Ultra has done in terms of share at Big Peach Running Company, number of pairs that we see coming through the back door and then almost as quickly go out the front door. But it's not always been that way. And I'm just confident there are some of our listeners, they're hearing the term Ultra for the first time, A-L-T-R-A. And I know you'll give us the story, but I also know there was a real intentionality behind why you got into footwear design and ultimately production. And just as importantly to this day, there is a real intentionality to why you keep doing what you do and making the shoes the way that you do. So instead of letting me say, here's what I've taken from listening to you recently and knowing the story for as long as we've had the brand, I'd love to have you just kind of lay out that intentionality so everyone can kind of get a sense of what pushed you truly to the edge to take that leap of saying, yes, we need another running shoe because this one's different and this thing will do something different for runners and those who are not yet running. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think um, the it, it all stems out of our name, Altra, and it came from this word Altera which means to mend or fix that which is broken. And the whole goal behind the brand was to fix broken runners. And it really comes down to a couple things is I'm a shoe geek. My dad was working for Nike when I was born, Saucony most of my childhood. We opened a running store when I was nine. I started working when I was nine. I remember reading that in the bio that you spent a lot of time working the floor. Oh, yeah. Obviously doing buys. Being a general manager, you get what we do. Oh, absolutely. I spent 20 years of my life working and managing at Run Specialty. Um, Best 20 years. I was selling shoes alone at age 10 with no one else at the store. You know, you think I had to know my crap? Like, if I didn't know it, I got eaten alive or people just walked out. But of course, if you you could say, well, I just ran a marathon in 308. That As helped. a 10-year-old, I would imagine that yeah, goes someplace that They too. basically probably put a tag on me that said 308 <laughs> Marathon or listen to him, you know, because there's nobody else here. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, that's where it really came from for me is I'd, I'd been working in the running store for 10 years. And I always felt like it's weird that we don't get any formal training except from shoe companies, you know. Like, isn't that kind of a conflict of interest? It's a little strange to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I decided like, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to study all this stuff and I'm going to get better at helping people because most everybody who comes in the door to buy shoes comes in to buy shoes because something hurts or something's not quite right. And I get out to college and I start studying it and I'm doing, I mean, even English class, I'm doing papers on running injuries and running technique and, and how to make people not be injured. And, um, I, I get, I get into college and like, I start to realize like, everything I'm studying is not lining up with what I've been telling people most of my life. 
and uh, I get done and I come back and see there's pretty big discrepancies and there's two big problems that I ran into is like, I'm a total shoe nerd that loves shoe technology. Like, man, I loved Reebok DMX and I loved Saucony Grid. And, you know, it was the time of when gel was new and air was out there. And like, you know, we just had all these great shoe technologies that I thought were like the greatest thing ever. But if you look at the data, running shoe injuries are worse, were worse then than they were before any of these technologies existed. Um, And that was really frustrating to me. And then the other part of it was that foot problems were at an all-time high and worse than they had been before we had all these great shoes. And to me, as a shoe salesperson, managing my running store, I was like, how come all the products that I'm selling aren't helping people get better? Um, and that's really what made me you know, kind of look at things. And as, as we look at the research, it just came down to we started doing video analysis at the store, and it became really obvious that the shoes we were selling we're not necessarily doing what we wanted to do because we were very passionate about running technique and that sure. all comes back down to my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, thinking about it from a, a running store owner's perspective and then recognizing it'd be easy to say now it's like, oh yeah, Golden was going to tell us that he was really passionate about it at a younger age. But the reality is you had your degree in exercise science. You've had articles published. You obviously have done plenty of research, not just for your own degrees, but so you could share it. So there's that background. There are two parts of the ultra story in product that I think come through maybe even before someone tries it on if they do a little bit of research before coming into the store. And let's just break that down because I think it has application way beyond ultra. And if you give us the background to what is now being referred to as balanced comfort by ultra, but at one point, both by ultra and by the industry was zero drop. Yep. It was a term that was really popular for a while. Many people can remember the book Born to Run. Others can remember things like Vibram Five Fingers. There are parts of our history in zero drop yep. that we probably don't understand that well or recollect totally. that well. But for you, balanced comfort or zero drop is still a thing and is still something that you would say, here's what we need to know. What is that? Yeah, so uh, right before... Uh, you started talking, I was, uh, I was mentioning, it kind of came down to video analysis at our store. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we had just brought in Vibram Five Fingers at our store. They're the foot gloves, right? Yep. Um, they're basically barefoot shoes, which is a horrible term. Makes no sense. We'll put but, them in our show notes. For somebody yeah. who somehow missed that, yeah. you'll get a chance to see what the foot, foot glove look like. Yeah. So um, as you, it, what happened is we brought them in to uh, help people do foot strengthening and work on their running technique in small doses, right? So it was like an accessory shoe sale to the regular shoe they were buying. The problem was when we started filming people is we saw that people ran with way less impact in the five fingers than they were running with in the shoes that we were selling them. And also, my dad has no cartilage in his knee. He runs bone on, has run bone on bone his entire life. And if he doesn't run perfect, he doesn't run at all. And he's a guy that went from 240-pound football player to 130-pound 222 marathoner bone on bone by learning to run perfect, by learning to run like a Kenyan. And so at our store, we taught people to run with efficient, low-impact, protect your knees, be able to run till you're 90 running technique. And as we're watching this film we're seeing people run in the five fingers and we're like, okay, yeah, that's what we're trying to do for people. And then we're watching them run in the other shoes that we had just sell them, sell, sold them the best selling models of running shoes in our store. And we're like, uh, that's not good. Uh, and, and what, it's not going to work. Yeah. And what my dad's comment was like, I give everybody a lesson on how to protect their body. And then I sell them a pair of shoes that undoes everything I teach them every time they go out there. And really what we saw in the video is that, 
traditional running shoes cause people to overstride. They encourage it, force it, cause it, however you want to say it, depends on the person. But um, if you look at, you know, if you, if you look at Boston from a couple of years ago, they did a study on how many runners were overstriding. It was like 83%. You know, this is at the Boston Marathon. Yeah. So, um, and you go back and look at the same type of thing from the 60s and it's like nobody. You know, try to find any video of any runners pre-1960s that is overstriding. It just doesn't exist, you know. And I got looking at that and I'm like, man, what about the shoes is making people run so poorly? What's causing people to run different than they would ever naturally run? Because you watch somebody run barefoot in the grass. Nobody runs like that. They don't run like they do in shoes. And these are shoes that I love, keep in mind, you know. So uh, I start breaking it down and... I found out like virtually every single shoe on my shoe wall, not virtually every single shoe on my shoe wall was pretty much exactly twice as thick in the heels. It was in the forefoot. And this is still mostly true today in most running stores. Um, and it was a lot heavier in the heel, all the cool technologies in the heel, the gel is in the heel, you get that big plastic heel counter. Um, all the weight is in the back of the shoe. And so shoes were horribly unbalanced. Mm-hmm. Um, the back half of the shoe is a lot heavier than the front the back half of the shoe is a lot thicker than the front. And so as we watched people run through the stride cycle, what we saw is people wearing the five fingers or people that were barefoot, um, or in like cross flats, their foot would stay relatively parallel to the ground and it would land underneath their knee, which was bent in that position. And then their leg could bend and absorb impact naturally the way humans do. And yet we'd watch them in the shoes that we had just sold them, our best selling models of shoes at our store. And as the foot swings out in front of the body, the heel drops, the toes pop up in the air because the back half of the shoe is heavier. And then because it's thicker, the heel would catch the ground a couple inches earlier, two to three inches earlier than it otherwise would. And the foot would be out in front of the knee where the knee wasn't able to then bend and let all the joints from the hip down to the foot bend and absorb impact naturally. So it it fundamentally changed the way people move. Uh, And when we saw this, I was like, well, okay, the back half of the shoe is a lot thicker and heavier. What if we just made the shoe weight balanced front to back? And what if we made the cushioning balanced front to back? Same thickness. Um, what if we just put the foot in barefoot condition, position, but we left people with the same amount of cushioning and support that they're used to? You know, so we're not taking away any cushion and support. We're just changing the platform. We're getting rid of the unbalanced equi- part of the equation here. Uh, and so that got me into, uh, you know, hacking up shoes and the toaster oven and everything else that, that came about and then turned into this brand. Well, and I think that's where the cool graduation from what even I would say was zero drop and that meant no cushioning. And where you guys took it and said, it doesn't need to be that way. Zero drop is just what might be the differential between heel and forefoot. I got a good story on this. But we can still have cushioning in our shoes. Before we unpack that a little bit further, let's camp out for a second on running form. I heard it this evening. I've heard you previously, and I know that this isn't YouTube. I get this is a podcast. We're not going to be able to put these visuals together. But you do such a great job of, in my opinion, in a very condensed manner, being able to say, here's how I believe people should think about running, or at least put this into motion to the extent they can, and they will be better for it. So in just a little bit of a synopsis, give us what you believe is good running form and likely to make us runners who have longevity in front of us. Yeah. So again, you know, uh, this stems from my dad having no cartilage in his knee. He runs, he runs great or he doesn't run at all. And what we found and find is you look at people who never get injured and you look at elite runners, there's four pretty good commonalities, uh, that they have, uh, with their running technique. And the first is that they have proud posture, you know, so they're, they're leading with their hips and their chest, or I like to say, chase your, chase your chest. Um, and, 
Uh, basically, if you do it at a keyboard, you shouldn't be doing it while running. Uh, most people sit at a keyboard all day. Your, your hips are back. Your chest is collapsed. Your shoulders are rolled forward. Your arms are out in front. And it needs to be all the exact opposite of that. So you just think to yourself, while I'm running, if I do it at a keyboard, I shouldn't be doing it while running. So instead, your hips need to be forward, meaning you're standing tall. Your chest needs to be forward, meaning you're proud. And usually with that, your shoulders are going to be back. And instead of your arms being out in front of your body, your elbows should be clear back behind your body. Um, and that's your, that's your posture, which is your big start point, which is the hardest thing for most runners. Cause again, they sit at a desk all day. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of stuck in this position. So it, it gets, it feels very different for people to be pushing their chest and hips forward. But typically we just tell people run proud, run tall. And probably 95% of people, if we tell them to chant, run proud, run tall to themselves, they'll be chasing their chest and, and their hips will be forward as well. So, um, so that's step one. Step two, we just get people to have compact arms. Uh, Americans have way too much arm swing going on with their running. They're big, they're bombastic, you know, you're everywhere with arms. And I just get people to think of it a little bit more like run proper, run British, you know, um, get small, uh, use your arms as little as necessary. This sport is all about efficiency. Um, so you want to move as little as, as you want to use as little energy as possible to, to move down the path that you're on. Uh, and moving your arms side to side and forward and back too much just wastes a whole lot of energy. So technically what we, you know, since we can't give you a visual, I like to give people the cue of chicken wings. You're going to feel like you have chicken wings, like your, your elbows are clear back behind your body, and this is going to keep your shoulders back. Uh, but the technical cue is get your wrists next to your ribs. So your wrists should always be brushing up against your ribs. Or not always, but occasionally. So they're, they're right there next to your ribs. Most everybody is pumping their arms way too much and way too far forward. You look at the average runner running 10 and a half minute pace. They probably got six to 12 inches of arm movement going on. You look at a Kenyan running 10 and a half minute pace and they've got two inches of arm movement going on. That's what we need. You should be using your arms as little as necessary. And then when you want to speed up, you pop the elbow back. And that's going to drive your chest forward, help you with your posture, open up your airway. Um, and that's going to propel you forward. So... Uh, the arms thing is really critical and we just get, need to get people using less arms and then popping back to accelerate. There's no forward arm pump in distance running. The elbow should always be behind the hips. Any great runner is always looking for a window between their back and their elbow. And if you see your shadow or you run by a mirrored building, you want to be looking for that window between your back and your elbow, which is the opposite of what you usually see in the media and running magazines. You see that elbow out in front of the hip, Mm. which is just a lie. You know, it's just, we're being taught by the media to run wrong, unfortunately. And to me, that's the most critical one because having compact arms is actually going to fix your posture and it's going to drive your cadence to be higher, uh, which is step three. And with, with a higher cadence, uh, what the research tells us, if people just take 10% faster steps, they're going to reduce all forces on their joints by at least 20%. And there's a lot of studies to back this up. And it's the best thing we know of scientifically to pull pressure off of your joints is actually just to increase the cadence. But it's hard to tell people, hey, take faster steps. You know, it's, it's one thing to, you know, you need to run at this exact cadence. That's, that's difficult for people. And a lot of people have heard 180. Well, most runners run at 10-minute pace. And 180 is actually only accurate for 7-minute pace and faster. 
I did a lot of research on this. Now you can draw, drag Strava timelines instead of watching slow motion video, which is nice. Um, but people running 10 minute pace should be running about 165 steps a minute. That's what Kenyans that run 10 minute pace run at. And most of them don't ever run lower than about 165. So I see 165 ish, but then when you get to nine minute pace, it becomes 170. When you get to eight minute pace, it becomes 175. And when you get to seven minute pace, it becomes 180, so on and so forth. Uh, but the reality is most of us are running 10 minute pace or slower. So 165 is that target cadence. The average American is running 150, which is exactly 10% slower than 165. And that lines up exactly with the research that tells us just taking 10% faster steps is going to give you 20% reduced forces on, you know, all forces on your body. Um, and that leads us into final step, which is your foot strike or what I call a bent knee landing, because I think foot strike is irrelevant. And the worst thing you can do is tell somebody to change their foot strike. Uh, and this is where barefoot and minimalism got it wrong. Uh, more so where the media got it wrong, where they told people, Hey, just land on your forefoot and everything will be good. Well, people kept having bad arms, terrible posture and slow cadence. And they just took pressure off their knees and put it down on their foot and lower legs. And we saw foot and lower leg injuries be at an all-time high in the history of running when people were doing this. We did, as a side benefit, see joint injuries be at an all-time low, um, which is really cool. Uh, but it just shows changing where your foot strike just changes where forces go. It doesn't make them magically disappear. And so if you really want to... Um, get a nice balance of things. It's all about landing underneath a bent knee. So that big three foot spring that starts at your hip and goes all the way down to your toes, all those four joints can bend and help absorb impact and put the pressure on your muscles. And I just ask people like, Hey, are you willing to take, um, you know, let your muscles get sore for a couple of weeks in exchange for pulling all the pressure off your joints for the rest of your life? And people are like, yes, please. Yeah, I can handle that. And that's really what we're telling people to do. But realistically a foot strike change or landing under a bent knee is a result. It's not something you actively try and change necessarily for most people. If we get proud posture, run proud, run tall. If we get compact arms, chicken wings, wrists next to your ribs, and you get the cadence a little bit faster, which is also partially a result of your compact arms, then the result will be landing under a bent knee or a more proper foot strike, whatever that happens to be for your genetics. And for me, that's a slight heel strike at long distance. It's a midfoot strike at mid distance, and it's a slight forefoot strike at really short distances. And uh, it could be different for you or somebody else, and that's okay. We're all genetically a little bit different. That's fine. So there's running form in a nutshell from me uh, without any visuals. Man, D2, we are packing a ton of value into this episode of the Run ATL podcast. You even threw a term in there. We don't hear that much anymore. Minimalism. Wow. I have a podiatrist friend who said minimalism put his daughter through college with all the people who ended up coming to see him because of not getting it right. They needed those four steps you just laid out. For those of you who will go back and listen to that again and again and again, of course, we'll have this in our show notes, but also check out Ultra, A-L-T-R-A, runbetter.com. That's ultrarunbetter.com. That's where you will get your visuals and you'll get a lot more, but that is a great synopsis. Thanks for doing that, mm -hmm. Golden. What I want to do is go back then. The other part of the Ultra approach to footwear design to the engineering that was even more fascinating to me. And maybe this is an on, as an entrepreneur as much as it is as a runner, but it had to do with what you guys now kind of refer to as that foot shaped toe box and not just research that you had been exposed to in college or even working in the running store, but things that you ultimately decided to do yourself to not only inform yourself, but inform your thinking about how a running shoe should be designed. And this was revolutionary at the time. 
I would offer that perhaps it's still revolutionary compared to everything else that we have on our footwear wall. You have since even taken it further by being able to say, guess what? Running is for both genders. And we understand that when we talk about a foot-shaped toe box, it's not even the same for a man as what it is for a woman. So indulge me if you would, and take me back to when you started to believe if we're going to do this, we've got to do it right. And that includes what now we call foot-shaped toe box. Uh, so this actually goes back to the end of college. I was almost finished college and I got a chance to go out and study with this Finnish researcher in Hawaii. And I get out to Hawaii and uh, I'm, I'm studying with this guy and uh, it's it's like horrifying to me that as someone who grew up in a running store in the 90s, all these giant Polynesian people are walking around barefoot or in slippers and they all got flat feet, you know. And my mind is like, we have to fix these people. We have to get them over pronation <laughs> shoes. We need insoles. We need stability shoes. Like, we got to fix them. And as I get to know them, you know, I, as I get to know people well enough to have a rapport with them, I'm like, hey, so so tell me, do your feet hurt? You know? And they're always like, no, bro. And I was <laughs> the, like, the Hawaiian accent. Yeah. Way. I was like, wait, <laughs> are you sure? No, just it, tell me the truth. You know, don't your feet hurt? You know? And they'd be like, no, bro, my feet don't hurt. You know? And... I was blown away and I got really interested in it and cause it was exactly the opposite of every, what every shoe company and every running magazine had told me my entire life. So I started delving into that side of the research and this is just before, this is just as barefoot running was kind of starting to hit too. So it was good timing, I guess. Uh, and I'm out there and I just start looking at it and the research is really unequivocal. You know, you look at the billion people on earth that don't wear modern shoes they go barefoot or wear primitive sandals, they have low arches or flat feet and they have no foot problems whatsoever as far as chronic foot problems. You know, they might step on a sharp rock, they might kick some coral, uh, they might get a fungus, but their foot problems last a couple of days to a couple of weeks. You know, our stuff we have for a lifetime. And what my research led me to is what any person who's really looked at it would see is that shoes, the very shoes I sell, and the fact that shoes... And feet are not the same shape. And this is something most people have never even thought of. I, I, I do these interviews with a lot of journalists in New York. And, and the first thing they ask is, like, okay, so tell me what's different about your shoes. And I'm like, well, our shoes are shaped like feet. They have a foot-shaped toe box. And they're like, yeah, okay, they're shoes. And I'm like, no, they're actually shaped like feet. And they're like, okay, stop, stop joking around with me. Like, what's actually different about your shoes? I'm like, please take one of your shoes off right now and weight bear on your foot. And there's always this like, oh. I never thought about that before. Shoes are not shaped like feet, you know? And, and if you look at a healthy human foot, it's pretty square shaped. Uh, and it even may even V out a little bit. But if you look at shoes, they're the opposite. Shoes are shaped like torpedoes. Um, you know, they, they come to a tip. And so as I'm looking at this uh, and I get back to managing my running store, I'm just like, you know, I'm trying to, everyone's coming in with bunions and neuromas and plantar fasciosis. Like that's, so many people come in the door with those. It's daily. Somebody's coming in with one of those issues, if not hourly. Uh, and it becomes really clear to me after reading the research. I'm like, my shoes are shaped like bunions, the shoes that I'm selling people like, no wonder they have bunions, you know, especially with what they're wearing all day, every day. And so, uh, it, it became really obvious in talking to a bunch of doctors and, and podiatrists and stuff. 
um, I found these, you know, doctors and podiatrists that had been lobbing shoe companies for years to make shoes that were shaped like healthy human feet. And they were never successful at doing it. Um, and to the point where they kind of blew me off at first, I'm like, no, I'm serious about this. And I was able to get a meeting and then kind of understand where they were coming from. And so that's where the foot shaped toe box actually originated. But even before that, uh, at our store, my dad, when anybody came in with a foot problem, he sold them their shoes like a size and a half, two sizes too big. And he skipped the laces in the bottom half of the shoes. So their toes were just hanging out in space, just flopping around in there. And I thought he was freaking crazy at first. But lo and behold, these people would always come back and they'd write him letters. They'd send in friends. They'd, they'd send flowers or chocolate for crying out loud. They're like, my foot has been hurting for 20 years. And you selling me a too big shoe with no laces in the front half of the shoe made it all get better. You know, so it gets you thinking about things. And we had so much success with this that you could show up to a local road race. About half of all the runners had no laces in the front half of their shoes. or They had, you know, the laces skipped open. And they just knew. They must have been shopping at Runner's Corner because yes. that's the store that does that. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's kind of like set the stage for when I went to actually go and design shoes. All that stuff was a no-brainer. We had to build shoes that were shaped like feet. Um, and so, so you tell a story about, okay, well, this is what you want to do, but it's not that simple, right? That's yeah. not the way the industry is aligned. That's not the way the factories overseas are ready to build a last. Yeah. There was some work that needed to be done, done at the onset to even make this a reality. Tell the story if you don't mind. It brings in my love, of course, for the running shoe and the running store culture coming together. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, as we went to uh, make the last of the shoes, and, and we have this corny saying in shoemaking, the last is always first. Uh, because the last is the foot form that the shoe is built around. It's literally, that is the very first thing that you start with. Uh, and we had to build these from the ground up because my um, my guy Vlad, that was the last maker from Nike that was working with us, um, him and Gary Pittman, they had come, they had called me up and they were like, hey, we, you know, we heard about what you're doing. Uh, as far as modifying shoes. And, and I was honestly thought I was going to get sued from modifying shoes, hacking up shoes in my store. Uh, and th they said, no, we, uh, we, we've known for 15 sh years that shoes are supposed to be built this way. We're tired of building stuff we don't believe in. Let's get together. So we get together with these guys and, and we're going for it. And first thing we got to do is build a last. And we go to build the last and Vlad's like, well, give me a shape. I'm like, well, shape like a healthy human foot. And he's like, what's that mean? You know, I was like, I got to give you a shape. He's like, yeah, you, you draw a shape for me. I'm like, well, it's not that easy. So I go back to the running store and we take anybody who has never had any foot pain. They have perfectly healthy feet and we have their, we haven't put their, take their shoe off and put their foot down in their sock. Cause you wear socks when you uh, wear shoes. Most people do at least and put their foot on a piece of paper and we trace their feet and we take a composite of those tracings and, and send them back to Vlad. And you know, he's like, well, the woman's shape is different from the men's. I was like, yeah, women's feet are different. He's like, yeah, women's feet are really different. He's like, but women's and men's shoes are not different. I was like, well, they shouldn't they be? And he's like, yeah, I've wanted to do that my whole career. We only do that for like elite athletes. But the reality is like half of the shoe sizes cross over between men's shoes and women's shoes. And tools are like five grand per size. So if you're going to make the women's shoes be shaped different than the men's shoes, then you're going to spend 50 grand every time you make a shoe. Well, these days at Alter, we're making over two dozen different models of shoes, which means we're spending about $1.2 million. Do the arithmetic, right? <laughs> yeah, to, to make women's and men's specific shoes. And I, I just told Vlad, I'm like, well, ladies are different. They deserve shoes that actually 
like are different for their different feet. And he's like, well, yeah, they've, you know, their heels are narrower. Their ball is wider. They have more V shaped feet. We have more two by four shaped feet. Their arches are shorter. So their flex zone is different. Um, and they have a lot less fat pad underneath their feet. You know, woman's woman's feet are things feel harder to them. So women want softer, thicker shoes, um, because to them shoes and everything else feels harder because their fat pads aren't as thick. Um, and to me, it was just like a no brainer. We have to do this. You know, we have to build woman specific shoes. And so we have what we call fit for her. Uh, and we did this from the very first ultra model is built a woman's shoes, totally different. And we made a point early to call the woman's shoes a different thing than the men's. So our first shoes were the instinct and the intuition, which was a cushy neutral road shoe. And then we did these, uh, we did the, we did the lone peaks, but we also did the Adam and Eve. And then we did Samson and Delilah and the provision and the provision S. And so, uh, all these shoes were the woman's shoes were truly different. And that's still the case today. We don't shrink it, pink it and put it out there. Uh, we'd literally build the woman's shoe all on its own complete, you know, track with its own last that fits totally different. Well, of course we don't get this when we are doing our taping, but I can practically hear the applause from so many of our female listeners out there like, yes, my goodness, that makes so much sense. For those of you who are not familiar with ultra shoes and as much as this course is an invitation to come into big peach running company take a look at a pair perhaps even try a pair on to take a shortcut ultra running.com that'll show you all of the models that are part of that portfolio but just as importantly to be able to match up the visual with what golden just shared it will give you very quickly the shape and if you're thinking about that pair of nike or asics or brooks all of which i love all of which we have great relationships with certainly endorse the research and the product that they put forth every single season you will be able to see that it does look a little bit different and then especially with the growth that alt what was that golden a little bit a little bit okay maybe i'm being a little bit gentle maybe more than just a little bit but then of course with the growth that you've had it's probably easier to tell the ultra story as we go into 2020 than what it was you've had this in the market since 2011. now i'm going to ask this as just kind of a geek about people saying i have a vision and i want to bring it to life and see what people think what was it like for you and for those who believed in this with you in 2011 going into 2012 when this was completely foreign it was untested and quite frankly i'm sure that you and others thought the unknown is a little bit scary as we decide to take this journey yeah um heavy uh really 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 tough times uh, I, I just remember going to hell and back 50 times you know it was so difficult and and i always said if i would have known what i had to go through and never would have done it you know it was just it was really really tough uh but the thing that got me through it was that i truly believed in it um and that the research was so strongly in our favor um that it, it was kind of a no-brainer and frankly like when we when we first did the testing out of our store there was no intent to start a shoe company you know we we what we did is after we watched you know the video like i talked about i busted out my toaster oven i started you know i heated up a pair of shoes and i still remember my dad like being really excited and he's like 275 wait till the glue bubbles and i was like <laughs> 
275 degrees stick it in the toaster oven wait till the glue okay yeah you know and i took it down there and did it and uh you know got a pair of pliers and ripped the ripped the rubber off and took the foam out and put some flat pieces of spenco foam in and glued the rubber back on and went for a run i'm like oh my gosh i'm wearing a cushy supportive shoe and i don't feel like i'm fighting my form like i'm not fighting the shoe anymore it feels like i'm running barefoot on the grass uh and we went and put it on the video and it looked great and i thought that was awesome so then it was like, okay, let's try it on our staff. And our staff, you know, for the most part, all loved it. And it looked good on the video. And it looked like people run when they run barefoot in the grass. You know, the, the biomechanics were the same. They landed much lighter. They were using their body the way the body's meant to be used. And so then it somehow found its way onto a customer who had tried everything and had no success. And I still remember being like, hey, yeah, you know, he's like, I've tried everything. What do you got? And I'm like got these shoes I've been hacking up. Like they seem to make you run better on film, but they might help. They might hurt. I have no idea. You know, he's like, well, let me try them. So we get this guy a pair of shoes and he goes and runs on me. He comes back a while later and he's like, I can tell they make me run different. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty desperate. I'll try anything. So he gets a pair of these shoes and I'm like, Hey, just don't tell anybody we sold you hacked up shoes. Okay. Do you know what happens when you tell people not to tell people things? (laughs) That's the first thing yeah, they'll it's, do. The next thing we know, it's like Fight Club at the running store. Like People Everybody are coming up to the shoe and they're like, yeah, shoes. I'd like to try the, the uh, hacked up zero drop shoes. And we were like, there's no such thing. And they were like, oh, we know they're back there. You know, and it's like, <laughs> okay, what's the password, right? Um, and so um, this this is what happened. And then what we did is we, we took, uh, we had research on all, all these people. We paid them $10 to come back after six weeks and tell us what hurt more, what hurt less, what muscles they use more, what muscles they use less, if their foot strike changed, you know, you name it, transition, everything, you know. And then we got all this data back and we did a thousand pair in the first year. So then we took the data and we took it to the shoe companies we love that we had good connections with um, and said, Hey, uh, if you build shoes to be like shaped, like you know, healthy feet and the, the cushioning is balanced from front to back and, and you know, it's weight balanced as well. All these, these five injuries specifically, which was plantar fascia, plantar fasciosis is what we now call it. Shin splints, runner's knee, it band and low back issues. These, these issues get better. Will you make shoes like this? Um, we will buy thousands of pairs and give you hundreds of thousands of dollars if you do. Uh, and you know, what I realize now that I didn't know then is that shoe companies have built in customer base that are used to buying their shoes and they can't just go change, you know? And what they would often say is like, don't you understand how running shoe marketing works? Like your, uh, you know, impact is bad. Our cool cushioning technology saved you from impact. And you're basically flipping the script and saying cushioning technology doesn't work. And I'm like, well, that's, that is what the science says. It, it protects your feet, but it doesn't protect your joints. Um, and, and you're saying that getting people to run with good form by making the shoe be balanced front to back will protect them. I'm like, well, that's what happens. Yes. And here's the Harvard study that backs it up. Uh, you know, and so you know, they were basically saying, you know, you're, you're telling us to do everything the exact opposite of what we've always done. We're not going to go there. We don't want to do that. And I understand that now. I was really frustrated at the time because I thought shoe companies existed to help people be uninjured. Um, so never got anybody to even like look at it even remotely seriously. And so that was when it was like, okay, we got to, you know, got to do this. And I uh, got together with my, my cousin, Jeremy and uh, Howlett and my my best friend, Brian Beckstead, and, um, you know, we really believed in it. And so, uh, we started, started driving towards it and getting after it. And 
the thing is you have to really believe in it because it's too hard. If you, if you don't have good research and you don't have good data and you don't really believe in what you're doing, it's too hard to get through it. And at the end of the day, that's my biggest piece of advice to somebody who wants to do something is it darn well better be right. And you better have good, like solid research behind your, what you're doing. And you better really believe in it uh, because if you don't, there's no way you're going to make it. And frankly, they're, up to this point, we'd have the same major running shoe brands for 30 years. Like there hadn't been a change in the, the big seven as they traditionally called them in 30 years. So this is like the quickest way to go homeless, you know, start a running shoe company. And, you know, and frankly, like, you know, one of my co-founders lost his house and the other mortgaged his dad's house to do this, you know? So, um, you know, we put everything on the line. Well, I love the fact that you remind us you really got to believe in it. And it's not about, well, we think this is going to work and we'll make a bunch of money or we think this is going to work and that way we'll be on the front page of the business section. It was like, no, we believe in this. It is going to help others and we are going to be the reason that others get help, that we have a service that only we are capable of bringing. So we are so thankful that you did stick with it. Before we go to a break, I got to ask you one more thing. One of the things that I've learned about you, we share an affinity and we say at Big Peach Running Company that this is a pedestrian active lifestyle. And we say life with emphasis, cradle to grave if we have it our way. And even though I believe you're a little bit younger than D2 and I, even though I know that you have marathon times that are much faster than mine, where we come together is that we still have a lot of years running ahead of us. And so many of those listening, and we know people who have made this generous decision to come through the doors of our stores, they don't wanna just do it because, well, Peachtree's coming up and it's one and done. That's not really their desire. And for those people who have never had the confidence that they could do a 5K or a half marathon or a walk around the block, they don't really want to give up. So take us to what it looks like to truly make this a lifestyle and what you've learned through this brave journey that you've taken with Ultra that gives you the confidence that you and I and anyone listening can achieve just that. Yeah. So I said it earlier tonight, but, uh, you know, one of our goals is that is basically that we take anybody regardless of age and we have them, we have them running till they're 90, you know, and my dad ran bone on bone for 35 years. Um, you know, that's a long time. He's 73 now and still out there running, you know, awesome. and usually trail running. Uh, and, uh, I, I just think that's so great. And, and now him and my mom are like the same speed. So they're out running together all the time, which is just a really cool thing. Right. Uh, and like, I, I want that for everybody, you know, no one should have to stop. And, and my, my biggest problem probably within the medical industry and, and a lot of times with, with shoes and other things is so often people get band-aids that make them feel better now with no thought of what it's doing for them later. And a lot of people haven't really thought about this, but you know, you break, you, you know, you, you roll your ankle, you get an ankle brace, but you don't leave it on forever. Your ankle would atrophy and, and it would be terrible. But, you know, sometimes people hurt their foot and they go get an orthotic and then they leave it in the rest of their life. Well, you just casted your foot and it's, it's atrophied and, you know, you're going to be set up in a bad place as you age, you know, and you got to regain your feet. So to me, it starts from the ground up. We get people, we get them to strengthen their feet, you know, do all kinds of barefoot exercises and pull towels in with your toes and, and do jump rope and do some barefoot running even. Start with 30 seconds, not much, you know, never add more than 30 seconds at a time. But like do this stuff, get your, get moving like a human and then make it a part of your lifestyle. And to me, it's not just about running. I, I, one of the things that's been very like, um, influential for me is 
I read uh, that a lot of the world champion Kenyan runners take two to three months off every year, no workouts. Like they just stop running for two to three months off every year. And that's been very impactful to me. And, and it's made me go, okay, you know what? Every year I'm going to take two to three months off and I'm going to go do other stuff. And it's led me to have a lifestyle of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go keep doing active things. Even if I'm not running, I'm going to go snowboard. I'm going to go ski. I'm going to go play pickleball. I'm going to play tennis with my wife. I'm going to go play basketball with the guys. I'm going to go play ultimate Frisbee with a group. You know, I'm going to do things that include running and running makes me a lot better at those things. And I'm, you know, I'm almost 40. And when I go out on the basketball court, I'm freaking running circles around everybody, even in my off season when I'm not running, you know, and same thing for ultimate Frisbee or, or tennis. Like I can succeed on fitness, you know, even if my, you know, acumen for the sport isn't that great. And so it's this lifestyle of getting out there. And then to me is like, how do you take that and make it sustainable for a lifetime? You know, and whether you're starting at age 65, um, you know, I remember my, my grandmother ran her first marathon when she was older. Um, and it was, that's such a cool thing, you know, like she had never run a step in her life. And, um, then she's, you know, because my mom was going to run a marathon, she decided like, well, if you're doing it, I'm going to do it too. You know? And she just starts from the ground up and goes and runs a marathon. Um, as someone who's like almost all of her kids are out of the house, you know? And, um, uh, you know, or you're like me where you started running at age two, you know, I want to be running till I'm 90 and I'm lucky that I had a dad that had no cartilage in his knee. So he taught me how to run like a Kenyan from, you know, like age five. And basically that's going to allow me to run till I'm 90, you know, and I've never really had any major running injuries, um, which is, which is pretty cool, you know? So, and I think that should be the thing for everybody is make it a lifestyle, make it look at long-term solutions. Don't pay attention to band-aids and stuff that make you feel good right now. Put the work in and do the things that make you able to continue doing this the rest of your life and do other things that make it fun. You know, take a break when you need to, won't kill you. Hard to believe, but it, it's true. That is awesome and great advice. He is Golden Harper, founder of Ultra, and more importantly, a terrific servant to a pedestrian active lifestyle. Golden, thank you for being part of this. Again, you can learn more ultrarunning.com or certainly ultrarunbetter.com. We'll put that in our show notes. D2 and I will be right back after this brief message. Fall is here and training starts now. As your runs get longer, you'll need additional fuel to power through those long runs and get you across the finish line. Everyone has different needs and tastes, so we recommend that you experiment with different gels, bars, and hydration products to see what works best for you. Stock up and save. Purchase 10 or more individual packets and save 10%. Buy a box and save 15%. Clubs and training groups can combine their discount for additional savings of up to 25% off. Come into any Big Peach Running Company location and stock up so you're ready for those long runs. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. Thanks to Golden Harper for all of that insight, D2. That was super cool to have him here in town with us and to be able to have that conversation. So many golden nuggets to be able to camp <laughs> out on with the lifestyle that not only he lives and promotes, but quite frankly, has made so much better. Anything that you took away from that or would tell us to go back and listen to? Well, I mean, I I, I was really kind of impressed with his passion because when you hear about mm. a footwear manufacturer, someone that's creating, you know, you think that's all they're going to talk about is push your product and that's it, right? It's like buy ultra shoes. And that's not what he was about. He created a product to help benefit those that, you know, would we benefit because of foot shapes, because of foot issues. So he created a product to help runners um, 
live a better lifestyle, run more often based on this product. But he's not necessarily pushing this particular product. He's pushing a lifestyle, which I thought was very interesting, um, where he says, you know, run until you're 90. I mean, and who wouldn't really want to do that? Because, um, you know, we all want to be able to run. We see these individuals are, you know, 80, 90 years old. And like, I wish, I, you know, I hope I can, you know, last that long. And he's creating tips and, and products, you know, and sharing that information because he feels that, the lifestyle will benefit from it. Your, you know, your, your health will benefit from it. And he said something that I thought was almost verbatim from what you've said, you know, and, and part of our mission statement is that, you know, if we can promote a healthier lifestyle and we can, um, you know, be happy that we can make, you know, our community, our world a better place, we can be happier just because of the endorphins and everything else, because we feel great from running. And that's his whole mission. So for me, I felt that was that, I mean, I'm like, I'm a fan of his, you know, whether I buy his shoes or not, I'm like, you know, I'm a fan of his. I, I believe in what he says because it's, it's what we believe in. Well, and I think you're right. And that's true. The other things that you have to take into account will take care of themselves, right? There ultimately needs to be enough there to pay the bills, make sure you make payroll, improve the lives of those who are on your roster. But if you do that mission work, those things will take care of themselves. I think Golden has proven that. This is such a generous industry. Very cool to have him. D2, I am going to wish you adieu as we also say goodbye for two weeks. For those who do not know, D2 lives a privileged life. He's going <laughs> back out west to indulge in all kinds of outdoor activities. So I wish you a wonderful trip. I'm assuming you will come back. We will stay with our schedule every two weeks. Yeah, I, I will be back. I'll be going out to Utah. I'll be doing some trail running out there and some really scenic I'll be you know locations, Bryce, Zion, Grand Canyon. And, uh, you know, it should be great. And, yes, I will come back because I'll, I'll, I'll have a trip to pay for. <laughs> All right. So there it is. We will be back in just two weeks. In the meantime, as we always say, as we certainly mean, may your best miles be those covered on foot. Hey, y'all, if you enjoy our podcast, let us know. If you have topic suggestions, questions, or guests you'd like to hear on the Run ATL podcast, email us at podcast at bigpeachrunningcode.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube.